Hi, we are Rini and Rebecca from the Euromarine Network. This is our Researchers in the Spotlight podcast, where we meet up with expert marine researchers from our network to hear their stories. To showcase their insights and highlight their groundbreaking achievements in the various special, rare and novel areas of marine science. Good morning, Danielle, and welcome to this new episode of Researchers in the Spotlight. Let me first introduce you. You have a doctor in biological sciences and ecology from the Universidad de Barcelona and are a scientific researcher of CSIC in the Marine Ecology Department of the CAB, working in the research group Molecular Ecology and the Marine Benthas. With expertise in all taxonomy, ecology, and biology of marine benthic invertebrates, your research focuses especially on the study of interspecific interactions invol involving polycates. You've been a vice director of the CEAB from 2001 to 2002 and director from 2003 to 2014. Your CV also includes more than 160 scientific papers and collaborations in more than 52 research projects. You've edited two books, one on Polycata and the other one on deep water submarine canyons. And you also belong to the editorial committee of Scientia Marina and Invertebrate Zoology and are a review editor for Annelida in the section Marine Systematics and Taxonomy of Frontiers in Marine Science. So it's an amazing and very long bio, um, and it's very exciting to have you here today. And as my first question, I'm going to go straight into it. I was wondering, could you briefly introduce your current position with CSIC and the CEAB and what initially sparked your interest in marine research and how did you embark on this career path? Well, um, my my position here in, in my institute uh, is um, I, I am I have a position in the public research system of Spain. Um, I got it uh, in uh, 1992, so quite a long time ago. Then I have been moving and progressing uh, to my actual position, but more or less is is the same. So my 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 introduction in the in the world of marine research was because I decided at some time in my career in my university career to to start a diving course, and I get in love with. Uh, with um, the marine creatures and with the marine life. And uh, my, my dedication to polychids was just a chance when I went as a student to the Department of Invertebrates in the university and I say, well, I'm here, I would like to do something. Um, they told me that there are these samples of these uh, little worms, if you want to study them, um, there is only one, peop one other a person doing this kind of studies here and it will be nice if you can help him and I started with this and I've been I get in love with polychids mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I've been working with them since uh, since then <clears throat> yeah so uh, polychids are, are a very specific let's say taxonomic group of the marine world and could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on what exactly and specifically are you studying uh, yeah. within yeah um uh, first of all um polychids are uh, for for those are 
not familiar with uh, taxonomic words, is a, is a group of marine worms that are close relatives of earthworms. They are, many of them has a very similar shape to the earthworms, but from this basic uh, organization, like a, like, um, <clears throat> let's say, an, uh, a line of circles joined in some way, they have adopted many, many different uh, forms, many different colors, and many different strategies. So they play a really a very important role in the marine ecosystems. They are food for many other organisms. They interact among them uh, in many different ways. They are predators, filtrators, uh, uh, sedimentivores, any kind of strategies present in this group. And uh, um, this makes uh, this group very particular because if you are able to know which species are inhabiting a given ecosystem, uh, as we know <clears throat> the life strategies of these animals, we can use them as indicators of the state of the ecosystem. So um, having a list of, of the species of polychaetes, we can know if this system has been polluted, uh, if it is clean, and how it can evolve through time. So most part of my research is uh, based on this kind of uh, studies uh, to know how the ecosystems are based on the polychaete fauna that inhabits these systems. The other part, uh, uh, which is at least for me more attractive, is um, finding animals that has not been found by any other people. Um, that's the the basic uh, idea that leads the taxonomic work and so I'm I'm basically a taxonomist uh, and one of my tasks is describing new species illustrate them show them the characters and now we are also using uh, molecular tools to help in the identifications and uh, this is the second part of my work and the third part is to study the interactions and I'm particularly interested in studying um, the polychaetes that are living in symbiosis with other organisms. They live in, or in symbiosis with many different organisms, sponges, uh, gorgonians, crustaceans, other polychaetes, etc. And so knowing these interactions and the species that live in this way is also another of my passions in science. That sounds really interesting. Um, thanks so much for this very um, good introduction on polychaetes. I was wondering, just so our listeners maybe can also better understand what polychaetes are, how big are we talking? Are they are they tiny organisms? Are they a little bit bigger? How and where in which oceans do they exist? Do they exist all over the world or? Um, are there ecosystems where they don't really exist? Yeah. Well, the first question is uh, is uh, interesting. You can find very tiny polychaetes that in may be less than one millimeter in length, uh, but also you can find polychaetes that can have, let's say, three meters in length. So the range of of sizes is incredible, but most of them are between between let's say one centimeter and 15 centimeters, something like this. 
And um, about the ecosystems, they can be found uh, in any, uh, the ocean, sorry, they can be found in any ocean. Only okay. when the conditions of the system are too hard, if, for instance, when there is no oxygen, uh, they can be absent. But in in areas where they, there is a huge amount of contamination, that's organic matter, there are some polyquids that are specifically adapted to inhabit this or in Petrol fields, for instance, some polyquids are specifically adapted to inhabit petrol fields, so they can inhabit um, any ocean, and also from very shallow waters to very deep waters. For the for for example, there are species uh, that inhabit 4,000 meters depth or more in the sediments, but they can also inhabit the water column. There are species that are swimming, okay. and the most in, the most interesting thing is that. Some species are, have also been adapted to uh, live to, in fresh waters. So you can find species re in rivers or in lakes, not many, but there are, especially in tropical areas. And even there are some polychids that live in earth, in wet areas, but uh, in below leaves or in, in areas like this, but some of them are able to live even outside of water. <laughs> so okay, they are really very, very... Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, very interesting to know. I didn't, I didn't know that about polychaetes. Um, and within your um study of polychaetes over the last few years, can you highlight any major findings or breakthroughs that you have achieved in in your research of polychaetes, um, or related to the research of polychaetes that you that you are very proud of or that you think are worth mentioning? Yeah. Well, probably one of the most amazing things I, I've been doing working with polychids um, is to be able to work with a symbiotic uh, species alive, uh, to be able to study the behavior. This is, for me at least, is something very rare because um, many symbiotic polychids are uh, particularly present in tropical areas and um, the Mediterranean is not especially rich in this kind of uh, association. So I've been forced to move to other seas, but I've been lucky and I've been able to find, to, to work with these species, for instance, in, in Vietnam uh, with, a, with a Russian colleague that is working in there for a long time. And um, it's really fantastic to see how these animals interact among them. And uh, the, the most interesting thing I think uh, I did with the species we were working in Vietnam was that we realized that they, they have a very complex behavior to protect the host where they live. They, they can be aggressive, very aggressive against other colleagues, other polychids of the same species that are trying to enter into the, his uh, house, no? And, and these animals may have uh, very strong jaws and uh, they did really strong attacks. And in some cases, they were even able to, to divide the invader <laughs> in, two far, in two parts. Um, that was really very fantastic. And uh, I mean, this, this behavior is not very uh, strong for them because uh, these animals uh, are able to fragment themselves naturally as a defense. For instance, they, they can separate the posterior part of his body if they feel they are attacked, 
and then the second the, the posterior part moves fast to, to attract the predator while the anterior end is able to to go out and then they regenerate the posterior end so that's a, it's a complex uh, interaction of behavior and biology that leads to this kind of uh, very specific strategies to live in symbiosis yes and Another thing that we have found recently is uh, that we have found polychids living in, in ankyaline caves. Uh, ankyaline caves are caves that are separated from the sea by several hundreds of meters. Um, and then they have like relict water masses covered by fresh water. Uh, and in these marine water masses that are relict, they are some organisms that are specifically adapted and um, the most uh, well-known are usually crustaceans, but we have found recently uh, polychids also living in this very spe specific environment. And uh, we have found that these two new species and, and it's really a very interesting uh, 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 project that we have recently started working on this kind of environments. That's uh, great and amazing to hear. And also, while you were describing the behavior of polychaids, that takes me back some years ago when I, I was myself in a lab and I used to be pinched by Nereis, Virens, that they have these huge yes. jaws. And yes. and, <laughs> and I remember having to to split them. And then, and yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's very difficult when you work with them in, in live and in vivo. Yeah. <laughs> In reality, but I guess it's a completely different beauty to see them live uh, into their their ecosystems. So I'm I'm focusing on what you've previously uh, talked about um, about um, polychaetes being indicators of the environmental status of a system and an ecosystem. So I was wondering, do you think that this could um, be trans uh, translated into any policy development, and um, how would your research contribute to uh, to management of uh, sustainable marine environments. Well, um, uh, certainly uh, the the um, the let's say the characteristics of uh, benthic organisms organisms, including polychaetes. Benthic organisms are those that live in the bottom of the sea, associated to the sediments or to the to the hard bottoms. Um, the, the these organisms are able to react to the conditions of the environment. And not only to those that um, you find when you are collecting your samples, but also those that have been affecting the system through time in the past. So when you collect uh, um, animals in one moment, you are also recording um, the conditions that have been affecting the community. So if you study this community, you are able to um, uh, infer the conditions uh, that have been affecting them, if you know the animals. So if we, we know the biology and the characteristics uh, of the polychids, we are able to infer the conditions in the past. And this is well known by, by, by many different private and public organizations, even governments. So uh, many, um, many uh, initiatives uh, that are addressed to protect or to know what happens with the environment uses these organisms as indicators. There are many, many 
companies in the private world that are using these organisms um, as indicators when, for instance, uh, there is another company that is trying to extract gas or petrol in an area, so they have to know what will happen. Um, so these companies are spe specialized in going to this place, collect samples, and then they need somebody that has to analyze the organisms to, to get the information and to follow, to monitor what will happen in the future. And also the governments, when they apply laws to protect the environment, they have to have monitoring of the conditions and they use the benthic organisms to monitor these conditions. So, and these this, uh, inferences on, on the ecosystem um, can be transferred then to, to legislation. Uh, in Europe, uh, is they have been doing this, and this then is transferred to each country to apply their specific to the specific rules. So, uh, certainly, this kind of research uh, is very important in this matter because uh, you can can have a tool that specifically indicates you what is happening with your ecosystems. That's very interesting. Actually, following up on that, I was wondering, um, can you use polycates also as an indicator, for instance, of um, human stressors such as climate change and pollution, I'm sure, but is, is there any indicator um, in how many polycates there still are um, that indicate that the global waters are warming um, and, yeah, that, that kind of um, shows climate change? Well, um, there, there are not many studies addressed to, uh, to the impact of uh, temperature in the, in the life cycle of polychids. But on the other hand, we know very well, or we try to know well, uh, the faunas that are inhabiting, inhabiting um, particular environments. So, for instance, if I'm going to look for my... Uh, communities in front of my institute, I know I more or less know what I will find there. If if uh, I'm finding species that are not or have not been present there, I can try to know from where they have been originated. And we, what has been found recently is that there are quite a lot of introduced species that are able to survive uh, in, in the present conditions and the present conditions are certainly related to the increase of temperature in the sea, particularly in the Mediterranean. There, there have been a really a, a, a real increase of temperature of one or two degrees, something like that. So it's really um, when, when you realize that are, there are species from, for instance, from tropical seas that are able to survive in your system, it means that there is something um, that has been changed. Uh, in your system and um, introduced species um, in the case of uh, benthic organisms that are associated to the to the bottoms of the sea they can enter into the systems only thanks to the, our help through ballast water uh, uh, as a falling organisms uh, due to the exchange of uh, of um, uh, small uh, individuals of oysters of mussels for aquaculture 
all these uh, can introduce a species into a system. And if these species find the appropriate conditions, because their conditions have been changed, they can expand and even um, become invasive and a real problem. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I think that leads me over to the next question quite nicely as well. Um, as as you mentioned, invasive species and um, and you've also mentioned before that, for instance, symbiotic polychaetes are very hard to find in in the Mediterranean. Um, so, what are some of the main challenges or obstacles also that you've encountered in your research, and how have you addressed them? Um. Well, as uh, as I told, I, I am basically a taxonomist. So my focus is to find and describe new species. Um, <clears throat> the best way to to be able to do this is, or to go to areas where it's easy to find new species. The Mediterranean is one of these areas, but uh, it has been largely explored and it's, it's difficult. You have to go to very spe specific uh, ecosystems or very difficult, very uh, specific environments to find new species. No? But if you are going to tropical areas uh, or to areas that has not been explored, uh, at least not as deep as in the Mediterranean, uh, it's quite easy to find new species. But uh, going to these places is not always easy. And uh, one of the best ways to be able to do this is to establish collaborations. Um, there is a, a world network of uh, uh, scientists working on polychids in many different aspects, including taxonomy. And through this network, we are able to collaborate. And when we have specific problems on when somebody has specific problems they can find the specialists and then collaborate and that this is really a very a very good way to to do this and then the, the most recent example in my case is a, um, a collaboration with a japanese scientist uh, who find a polykit of one of the families with uh, with uh, i'm working with habitually and uh, he has no idea of which one was this species. And so he sent a picture to the network and I said, oh, I, I, I've seen this every, in, in any part. And then we started a collaboration and finally we will publish the description of this species that is not only a new species, but it's probably a new genus of polychid. And it's also a symbiotic species. Very, very, very nice. And the most interesting thing of these species is that, um, how to say this, uh, let's say symbiotic uh, species can have roughly two kinds of strategies. They can try to dissimulate his form uh, among the form of the host. I mean, they can try to mimic the host or they can have a very uh, pale coloring because they want to remain hidden inside the tubes or inside the galleries of the host or something like this. And what this species is, this new species uh, is doing, it is, is a bit different. It has a very beautiful colors, yellow, red, blue. And what he's doing is mimicking uh, a mollusk 
uh, a, um, a mollusk that also inhabits the Gorgonian when he lives. And this mollusk is a nudie branch. And I don't know if you all know about these uh, very beautiful organisms, but nudie branches eat his host, hosts and accumulate nidoblasts, the cells, the urtican cells of the of the nidarians in, in his uh, uh, appendages. And what he's, he's doing, the polychaete, it mimics the color, but it does not accumulate the nidoblast. So, uh, because it looks like the, the, the nudie branch, it is some way protected because uh, this coloration, which is aposematic, that means that it's very distinct and easy to distinguish, is an indication to possible predators that they have not to bite this animal because this animal is protected. So the other one is not protected by mimics the one that is protected. I think this is really very interesting. And to my mind, is is the first case uh, uh, that will be described of this kind of um, complex uh, mimicking situation. What an amazing uh, and rewarding work, the one of the explorer, right? Of having yes. <laughs> to witness new strategies and new species and, and how they interact. And I think nudie branches are um, uh, the favorite pets of all divers. Like we look for them all over the place with all these amazing uh, colors and then their different uh, formulations. But I had no idea that they accumulate uh, urticants. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, thank you so for sharing and thank you for sharing something so fresh, let's say, uh, as a discovery. So I'm, I'm um, looking a little bit in the future. Could you share with us any future plans or any future collaboration? Is there any exciting project you're working at the moment? Yeah, um, the, I, 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 I am now collaborating in, in two uh, different projects. Uh, one of them is... Uh, that one I, I already mentioned on, on Ankyaline Capes. It, it's just started. Uh, in fact, we have even not yet got funding, but we have been lucky to find uh, interesting things already before starting our project. It will extend for the next four years and is focused on, on, uh, on uh, capes in the Balearic Islands. I I really expecting what we will be able to do with this because if with only one dive in one cave we have find three different species one of them a new genus one a new species and the other one we don't know yet uh, I imagine that if we are able to explore all the caves um, in the Balearic Islands or or many caves not all because it's not so easy. Uh, and the Balearic Islands, you can imagine the islands like a Gruyere cheese. They are full of holes everywhere. Uh, so it's it will be, I think it will be really very interesting. And the other one is a project that is dealing with um, the possible use of artificial structures uh, as uh, regeneration uh, systems for the marine sea, but using animals, mainly sponges and polychaetes. Uh, these two groups of organisms are very good filtrators. And our idea is to place um, artificial structures in areas that are uh, polluted waters um, to um, uh, allow uh, sponges and polychaetes to grow there and then to study what happens with these organisms and with the waters that are around these artificial structures. I think that this is also a very interesting subject, which is led by two uh, 
chemical oceanographer, so it's not um, a purely biological study, it's very interdisciplinary, but I think the results will be really very interesting too. Wow, yeah, you have exciting research projects coming up there. Um, that that sounds quite interesting. Um, I'm I'm going to go into a little bit of a different question now related to Euromarine, because at Euromarine we always try to um, you know, offer offer the best support that we can to our members and improve our services. So, how has being a member of Euromarine? supported your research and career development to date and is there anything that you would suggest maybe to us that we can improve or that we can add um for me being member of uh Euromarine um has has been really very interesting first because there is a forum of uh, researchers working on the marine systems from many different points of view and each time we were able to exchange uh, our uh, ideas and now we meet each time we meet there is something interesting that is uh, appearing this is just a it's purely a personal satisfaction it's probably not related with science but it's a really very satisfactory to talk with people working on many different topics but all them focusing on on science uh, dedicated to the marine environment. Um, I, I am, uh, in fact, a representative of my institution uh, in the General Assembly. I, I was first the general, the, the representative, and then I was selected for the steering committee. Uh, as a representative uh, of my institution, it is really very satisfactory for me to see that the scientists of the CSIC um, are really interested in participating in any initiative that is launched by, by Euromarine. And each, each year they um, are in, involved in the forecasting workshops. Uh, they are really very interested, especially young researchers in the oyster initiatives. So um, I even I've been um, benefited of one of these foresight workshops that was held in, in Ravenna in Italy and the results were very satisfactory. We got a very interesting publication and we are now uh, intending to ask for a, for a European project dealing with this topic. So I think that for me, um, being in this network um, is like uh, being in a, in a pot of boiling water that is always producing good things. That's uh, great to hear. And uh, we look so much forward uh, to our next uh, meeting of the community. That's probably uh, will be like we, we normally meet once a year. Uh, let's hope that we can meet uh, sooner. But then uh, there are still other cases and occasions that Euromarine Network comes together under different umbrellas. Um, I'm leading to the, the last question for today, since you mentioned also oysters, uh, which are uh, the early career researchers of the network organized uh, uh, independently, but still very attached to Euromarine. Um, what's your advice to the early career researchers or to your younger self? Yeah, um, I think that uh, 
yeah, the, the best advice I can I can tell to them is that they have to do their best, and they have to be uh, they try to have to be present in the in the in the in the in the places where science is being done. If if they if they have the ambition and if they are present, uh, there are always opportunities that appear, and. Um, Euromarine through the through the oyster initiative is giving uh, really interesting tools for them uh, in the form of the individual grants to to go to training courses to go to meetings to workshops and so on and also the the new tool of uh, the collaborative projects which is really very interesting because it's probably one of the uh, first um, uh, possibilities they have of planning a project and carrying a project themselves outside of the normal financement systems which usually um, uh, try to attract more huge amount of funds and so on and it's very difficult to be accessible to young scientists so I think these two tools or for Euromarine are very interesting but what um uh, I can say is that they have not to abandon. Uh, if they want to be scientists, they have to be present and do their best. And the world is very big, and there are many opportunities everywhere to to develop a scientific career. That is a very strong take-home message to all of the younger uh, researchers. So be present and be where science is happening. A lot of opportunities are coming. And I also think that this is a very optimistic uh, and, and also very inspiring uh, way of seeing the world and advice. So thank you so much for sharing all this insight from your research path uh, today. And, uh, and I, we really hope that your experiences and your breakthroughs and all your tips will, uh, will inspire other researchers. Uh, we've learned a lot about polychaetes, polychaetes being the engineer of marine bathing communities. Uh, we've heard that they are important indicators for environmental stat statuses. And we've even uh, heard how new symbiotic interactions are happening uh, in the other side of the world around Japan, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you so much. Um, we will be looking forward to your future um, outcomes from your projects and especially uh, learning the outcomes of this regenerative uh, project you're working on. Um, thank you and, uh, and for the listeners, stay tuned for our next episode of the Researchers on the Spotlight. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure to collaborate. It's always a pleasure. <laughs>